second message in our series, The Christmas Playlist. Before I dive into that, uh, let me draw just a couple of things to your attention. Uh, first of all, water baptismal weekend, January 14th and 15th. If you have not been baptized in water yet, I encourage you to take that step. There's no better way to start the new year that's in front of you uh, than by uh, making that commitment. And then we're calling our church to uh, 10 days of prayer and fasting, January 11th to 21st. I know most of us need a little bit of uh, mental and emotional preparation to get ready for something like that. So giving you lots of, uh, lots of warning. Last week, uh, Pastor Jordan did a great job on introducing this series to us. And he taught on the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles Wesley, uh, the older brother of the more famous Wesleys, John Wesley, in 1753. Uh, family of 18, have I got that number right? Um, born in England, uh, he and his siblings all lived in England. Um, but John and Charles, and I want you to think back 250 years ago, this isn't like you hop on a plane now and you're there in eight hours, uh, came to North America two or three times and had a profound impact on uh, just helping uh, the United States especially uh, discover greater riches in Christ. Uh, they are the founders of the Methodist Church. Anybody familiar with Methodists at all? Is that a new term? Founders of the Methodist Church. The strange thing is when we hear that, we tend to think, well, they must be Methodists. Um, well, they never started a Methodist church. They just believed you should bring methods, systems, discipline into your Christian faith. And, and they did that as Anglicans. Uh, both John and Charles Wesley died as members in good standing uh, as Anglican clergymen. They were part of the Anglican Church known as uh, Evangelical Anglicanism, um, or what is now called the Low Church, as opposed to the High Church in the Church of England. Today we move on to another hymn, and there's a reason I told you all that I just told you. And this hymn, the one we just sang, uh, fondly called Thou Didst, uh, was written in 1864. So 111 years later than uh, Charles Wesley put Hark the Herald Angels to pen, this carol was written by Emily Elizabeth Elliot. Emily Elizabeth Elliot. Guess where she's from? She's from England as well. Uh, and guess what we know about her? Her dad was an Anglican minister. Uh, for six years, uh, Emily Elizabeth Elliot 
uh, served as the editor of the church missionary juvenile instructor. In other words, she was the one for the Anglican church who was producing instruction manuals, booklets. We used to call them when I was growing up uh, quarterlies. You got a new material in Sunday school called the quarterly. She, she was producing this juvenile instructor for the Anglican church. Um, and she was also a hymn writer. Um, music and the love for music ran in her family. Her Aunt Charlotte wrote the hymn, Just As I Am. Just As I Am. Her Aunt Charlotte is the one who wrote the hymn that Billy Graham used at the end of every one of his crusades. And Aunt Charlotte's niece, Emily Elizabeth, wrote this, what I think is a great carol, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy uh, kingly crown. It's a carol rich in theology. It's a carol that points us to Jesus. It's a carol that invites us to invest our all in him. So what's the message? What's the message of this carol? <coughs> Excuse me. It starts in eternity. It starts in eternity. We read, uh, well, let's just get the words to this uh, this hymn up there for you. Uh, we read in, in verse number one, um, thou didst leave thy throne. Uh, that's where the story starts. That's where the Christmas story starts. The Christmas story starts in eternity. We go down to verse number two. Heaven's arches rang uh, when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal degree. They recognized the royal pedigree of Jesus, which went back to the beginning of time. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, gives us an introduction to the Christmas story that you miss if you read Matthew's story or you read Luke's story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The Christmas story began way back in eternity. Jesus didn't start in a manger. Jesus did not come into existence in a manger. Jesus has lived, uh, existed from the beginning of time, and anything you see in this world is because he created it. Absolutely everything is rooted and founded in Christ Jesus. Christmas story begins in eternity, and it's a story about Almighty God. So it begins in eternity, but it doesn't stay there. And Emily, in writing this carol, and this is a children's carol. This is the same genre as Away in a Manger. She wrote it for children to sing. She wrote that for children? Yes, she wrote that for children. 
It's a children's carol. And four times in trying to get the message across, she uses this word, but. Yeah, yeah, this was happening. You were in your throne, but, verse number one, in Bethlehem's home. Uh, verse number two, but of lowly birth. Verse number three, but thy couch was the sod. Verse number four, but with mocking scorn and crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. There's these repetitive buts there. So while the story began in eternity, it moves to earth. The Christmas story began in eternity, but it moves to earth. Jesus came, verse number two, in great humility. Jesus came to earth in great humility. Philippians chapter two, verses six and eight. Who, that's being Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He left eternity. He left eternity, and he humbled himself and he came to earth. He left, and this is a terrible analogy, but it's the best I got for you. He left the corner office on the 110th floor, and he went and came down and lived under a cold bridge on the cold snow left the glories of heaven and came down to us. We have a, a fifth wheel at Living Waters Camp that we try to get out to and spend some time at during the summer. Like to get up before most of the campground is up and, and I enjoy watching the squirrels. running up and down the trees, getting so excited when they find some nuts. As much as I have enjoyed the squirrels, I've never wanted to be a squirrel. Matter of fact, I think that'd be a little squirrely if I did. I have no desire to uh, run around all day in dirt go up and down trees looking for nuts. I have no desire to have tiny little teeth and a big fat tail. Jesus had everything. And he looked down and he knew what we were like. And in some miracle of humility, he says, I'll take that form on. I'll take that form on. He leaves heaven and he comes, comes to earth. Second thing I notice in the lyrics is not only uh, did he come to earth, verse 2, in great humility. Verse number 1, he came to earth for me. 
It came to Earth for me. It came to Earth for you. Took upon himself the form of a man for, for me. He, he, he stooped down for me. Early in ministry, I'm thankful for people who have spoken into my life over the years. A lady came up to me and said, John, you're a, you're a big guy. Oh, I wasn't as big as I am now, but I was big. And uh, she said, when you're talking to the kids, you scare them. You need to learn to stoop down and look in their eyes and be their size. And all of his glory and all of his majesty and all of his greatness. He stooped down, came to her for me. came to earth for me. Third thing that stuck out as I reread and reread and reread these lyrics this week, verse number four, with the living word he came that should set God's people free. God came, my friends, to set us free. Isn't that good news? Came to set us free. John chapter 1 and verse number 14, revealing Jesus and how he came. The word became flesh. He came. He became the word amongst us. He dwelt amongst us. He stooped down and ministered to us by the, as the word of God. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came down full of grace and truth to set us free, to set us free. <laughs> and uh, no one has done it as well as him or ever probably will. The freedom that comes when grace and truth are presented in a perfect blend. came to set us free with grace and truth. John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 2. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus came to set us free. He is the living word and he's left us the written word. Friends, there is no freedom in Christ independent of an understanding of his word. Jesus came to set us free. 
And then I love this verse. I, I, this may be my favorite verse of the whole hymn, well, probably verse one and verse four. He came to set his people free, and how did we respond? With mocking scorn, with crown of thorn, they bore him to Calvary. Came down to us, he stooped down to us came to us, stooped down to us, and how do we respond? We mock him, we scorn him, we put a crown of thorn on his thorns, on his head. Jenna Wortham uh, wrote for a staff, a staff reporter for the New York Times, the 2016 U.S. presidential elections, he wo she woke up the morning after the election and said, how did I get this all wrong? She was absolutely sure the other lady was, the lady was going to win. She said, how did I get this all wrong? I'm, I'm a reporter. I missed it. How did that happen? And as she was thinking about it, she realized that over the previous couple of years, she'd got really good at customizing her preferences on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And guess who she was listening to? Only people who shared her opinion. <laughs> And when the other guy won, she was absolutely shocked because all the news, all the information she was getting was, the lady's got it, the lady's got it. When Jesus comes down as the Messiah, the promised one, the one that's been prophesied all through the Old Testament, and the Jewish people miss it. Because in talking to each other, they were absolutely convinced when the Messiah came, he would come as a conquering warrior and he'd get the world all straightened out. And he came as a humble servant to held little children on his knees. didn't condemn sinners, but looked at them and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sit down. That wasn't what the Messiah was supposed to be like. And they took the one that God sent, Father sent, and they bore him to Calvary with mocking scorn and crowns of thorns. So, so what, what are we learning from this, this children's carol? And yes, it's a children's carol. What are we learning from this children's carol? Well, I think we're learning a third thing. Story starts in eternity. 
it moves to Earth. But it must take us inside our hearts. Starts in eternity, moves to Earth. But it must take us inside our heart. Verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4, we, we read it uh, over and over again at the end of the verse. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. Verse number 2, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. Verse 3, same thing. Verse 4, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. We have to let the Jesus who stooped down to meet us come into our heart. This hymn is written by an evangelical Anglican. She's very concerned about this. Jesus needs to be in our hearts. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 uh, is an interesting uh, word in this pro end time prophetic portion of the Bible. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking at the door of our life, knocking at the door of our heart. And he wants to come in. He wants to come in. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee now. Here's the problem we have in modern evangelicalism. We invite people to invite Jesus into their heart, but we kind of make it sound like, yeah, just, just have them over for lunch. And when, when, when you've had a good sandwich together and maybe a Coke, uh, get on with your life. And if you ever just need somebody to talk again, just, just go kind of see if he'd be willing to come in and maybe have another sandwich. That's not what it means, come into my heart. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, Jesus has to dwell in the very core of our being. It's to be the one we think about throughout the day. It's got to be the one that comes to our mind when we wake up and when we're laying our head down at the end of the day, we're thinking about him and his goodness. He dwells in our heart. We live, we move, or have our being in him. This is not getting together for an occasional sandwich. This is, this is a divine marriage where everything you do is with him. So Jesus comes from eternity. 
and stoops down to earth. But it wasn't to heal some lepers, although he did that. It wasn't to give blind people sight. It wasn't to open deaf ears. He came because he wanted to have a deep, meaningful, intimate, personal relationship with you. He wanted to come in to your heart. I uh, understand that musicians aren't overly fond of this hymn, at least many of them aren't. But I think the Christmas story so strong in this carol. And what Emily Elliott is saying here for the kids, but it applies to us as adults, is don't make the mistake they made in Bethlehem where there was no room for Jesus in the guest house. Make room for him. Let him dwell in your hearts. I love the depth of this carol. I love the heart of evangelism in this carol. I love the way this carol tells us about Jesus. I would suggest to you that the Church of Jesus Christ ought to be giving some thanks to the evangelical Anglicans of the world who brought a passion for evangelism into the church and into the culture of the church and wrote great carols like this. So in kind of a big picture look at this carol, what's the contribution of this carol? Uh, to our theology and to our lives. Uh, why should this carol be on the Christmas playlist? I would say here's three reasons. Number one, it places the nativity in the broader narrative of God's story. The nativity is not just an event where a baby is born and placed in a manger and lives down here for 33 years. It's placed in the broader narrative of history, the broader narrative of God's story. The, the second reason I think it's important is it, it takes the first coming of Christ and also points us to the second coming of Christ. Verse number five uh, of, that, of that hymn talks about Christ's coming and calling for us. And when he's coming, he's saying, uh, come to me. He said, I'd love to have you at my side. And we sing back to him, my heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, at your coming. 
And sometimes, friends, we get so excited about the first coming and then in maybe the secret place of our heart, we pray he doesn't come again because we kind of like it down here. Ties together the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And then thirdly, it moves us beyond singing and pulls us towards personal commitment. It moves us beyond singing and pulls us towards personal commitment. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. So there's really three comings in this carol. There's his first coming. And then there's the second coming. But perhaps, at least in our lives, the third coming is the most important one where we ask him to come into our hearts. And that does not mean come have a sandwich with me once in a while. It means abiding in him, dwelling with him. He is the center of it all for us. For what it's worth, and you're free to disagree with me anytime. Can be wrong as often as you want. Uh, but I think, I think this is the prince of uh, evangelical carols. I love, I love how it unwraps the Christmas story. The message is clear. <laughs> It's rooted in evangelicalism. The question is clear. Jesus came. Jesus stooped down and came to the earth. But the real question is, have you invited him to come into your heart? Have you invited him to come into your not not for an occasional visit when you're down. I'll go 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 go, invite Buddy Jesus in, and we'll chat about it. No, no. Have you invited him to become a permanent ruler and governor of your heart? Have you invited him to dwell in your heart? That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. For a moment, would you just bow your heads? Maybe you're here tonight and and you'd say, I I kind of got the story, but I never really got the most important point. And that is that Jesus came for me. Jesus came for you, but he's the perfect gentleman, friends. He's the perfect gentleman, ladies, guys, he's the perfect gentleman. He'll knock. He'll knock, but he's not going to force himself on you. You have to say to him, come on in. Come on in. I want, I want an abiding relationship with you. If you're here tonight and you'd say, yeah, if you're listening online t today, you're here and you'd say, I just need to invite him to come into my life, come into my heart. I need to do that. Would you just raise your hand where you are even now with heads bowed and eyes closed and say yes. 
would love to invite Jesus into my life. Just raise your hand if that's you. If you've never made that decision, it's the most important decision of your life. Father, I pray for everyone who has heard this word today. I thank you that you've come and you've come for me. I pray, Lord, that you would make it uh, so real to our hearts that you left all the glories of <laughs> of heaven to come down and be with us and be like us. And you did that because you want a personal relationship with us. We say yes to that invitation this evening, Lord. We say yes. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come into our hearts today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen.